The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Straight cash, homie. Would you please break the damn story? He took it out. Oh, for you. August 11, PFT Live Hiatus Edition, Chris Sims Unbuttoned Podcast as well. Joint production. A lot of joints being produced over the last seven weeks while we haven't had the program. Whoa. We'll Whoa. be back in five days, though. You got you to gotta go back to detox. It's been seven Gosh. weeks of retox. You're going to have seven weeks of detox now? Well, I think with like seven weeks of retox, I'm ready for a detox. It's like getting to that point, you know, where you're like, man... It's like not even that fun anymore. It'd be good to take a break and 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 detox some of that out of here. But uh, I am looking forward to getting back to work, no doubt. I, I really am. I miss our show. I miss diving into some of these subjects. And uh, the NFL is rolling right now. There's plenty to talk about. It's funny. This is the longest we've ever been off. The Olympics had a lot to do with it. And then after the Olympics, NBC decided to give the crew a much-deserved week off. But it will have been seven weeks. And... I don't know when the moment was, but at some point over the last two weeks, I got past that moment of enjoying having a different reality and getting very agitated and frustrated that we we didn't have our platform in the morning for yeah, two hours. Right. And I've been as antsy as the many, and I'm not exaggerating here, many have been emailing asking when we're going to be back, when we're going to be back, when we're going to be back. It's Monday morning. 7 a.m. Eastern on Peacock, 9 a.m. Eastern on NBCSN. I think it's 5 o'clock local time next week on whatever Sky Sports channel it is. But in the interim, I mean, we still been posting content every day and I've been doing this every day. There's just something different about not having, Chris, our routine of 7 to 9 a.m. where we have that moment where we can deal with everything that's going on in 120 minutes. Yeah, no, it it, uh, it, it it does. I mean, not only that, but I mean, yeah, I'm getting not emails, but texts from friends, people in the NFL, what the hell, where are you guys at? When are you going to be on again? You know, our job too, it, it leads, uh, leads me to more information. That's where I miss sometimes. We might talk about a subject for 20 minutes on the show one day. Then, you know, later that morning or early in the afternoon, somebody from that team or some team that has knowledge of what we were talking about, they reach out. Hey, I saw you talking about this today. You guys should have talked about this or, hey, did you know that? And I miss that aspect right now, too, with being off air, kind of like losing my uh, you know, little like angels on my shoulder of information I get from time to time. Or devils is the case may be, but I do enough yeah, of that. But, but again, we'll be back at it bright and early Monday morning, 7 a.m. Eastern. See you on Peacock. Until then, some of the big news over the past few days, Chris and I did this last Wednesday on Friday, out of the blue came the development of Josh Allen signing his extension, an eight-year total contract, six-year extension on top of the two years he had left, $43 million per year in new money, puts him $2 million per year behind Patrick Mahomes. I, I got all the details, broke it all down. It, it felt like a compromise between Dak Prescott and Patrick Mahomes. It's better than the Mahomes deal. Not as good as Prescott because Prescott is free in four years, but no team is going to give a guy who's got two years left a four-year contract because it's only a two-year extension. 
So th this just felt like a good middle ground, pays him a ton of money, great cash flow the first four years, great for the bills because they knew what they had. You know, I've saw people say, oh, he had one good year. Yeah, but it was last year and it was when they built the offense around him and they knew what they had. He finally arrived and it would have been stupid for them to wait because the price was only going to go up if they delayed it until next year, Chris. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I mean, he's, he's got, and I'm pulling up just something here stats-wise too, just to talk about it. Well, for something you said, but the guy's a superstar talent. We know that. Yeah, it's a little, it was a little rough around the edges the first few years. Okay. It still was exciting and jaw-dropping, you know? And to your point, where like all those haters out there on Josh Allen go, well, it's only one year. No, no, it's not only one year. That's wrong. It's a wrong assessment. They went to the playoffs the year before. Maybe they didn't go and he didn't play the way you, hater of Josh Allen, wanted him to play. But nonetheless, they went and it was behind his skill set. It might have not been like last year where he was throwing lasers every play all over. Yeah, they used his running aspect of his skill set a little bit more two years ago. But again, like I hate when people say that because two years ago, still, I mean, we're talking about, what was that, the 2020 season, right? I mean, 2019 season. Yes. It's 599 yards rushing. It was still over 3,000 yards passing, 58% completion percent, 20 touchdowns, nine interceptions. Like, people act like they stumbled into the playoffs miraculously with Josh Allen just being careless and stupid. And that's where it's stupid. And the big point, Mike, I'm sorry because we don't talk a lot. I'm talking too much here. Like, you said it. They know what they have. They love him. I was there two years ago. You could tell, like you've always heard me say, everybody's bought in and he does everything and continues to, you know, trend in an upward trajectory to where I think it was a no brainer to, to get him signed for the future. And that's really the key. And that's the litmus test that every team that has one of these young quarterbacks has to has to give itself. What do we think of this guy? Are we right. sold? The cautionary tale obviously being Carson Wentz and Jared Goff. And that spins this toward Lamar Jackson and Baker Mayfield. And let's start with Mayfield. Yeah. Because I don't think the Browns are as sold on Mayfield as the Bills are on Josh Allen. And I think they may be inclined to wait a year. Yeah, I, I mean, I can understand them not being sold to that aspect. Yeah, I mean, again, Josh Allen's two years in a row, playoff first, and then one year last year, which is more than just playoff first. That was MVP, unbelievable showcase week after week after week. We haven't seen Baker Mayfield hit that point yet. We're seeing Baker Mayfield get close to some of that at the end of last year, even what we saw in the playoff game and all of that. But I think at a baseline, yeah, he hasn't won as much as Josh Allen. I don't think he's quite instilled the confidence in the team and his great abilities like Josh Allen has. And then at, at, at the very least, and at just base level, I mean, I think you agree with this. And I really think Baker Mayfield's really damn good. Josh Allen's just more talented and has more ways he can beat you, you know, than a Baker Mayfield. So I can understand them not quite being sold on that yet. But I still think it's only a matter of time and it gets done because Baker Mayfield has everything you want to be your franchise quarterback and then some. And, and I think the Browns got to be excited about that. And I think part of the reality too, Baker Mayfield, incredibly confident in his skills and abilities. He won't compromise whatever it is that he thinks he deserves. And if the Browns are going to force him to go out and prove it this year, 
he will enter the season with every intention of going out and proving it. Whether he does is a different issue. But I, I could understand why the Browns would at least want to see. Yeah. Is he going to continue on that path? It's the second right. year with Kevin Stefanski. We saw a lot of development in the second half of the season. 2019 was disappointing. What right. are we going to see out of him this year? And if it does make it more expensive come 2022, then so be it. At least you'll yes. find yourself in a position where you're giving away a first round pick to offload the guy's contract. Right. That's right. I think at the end of the day, like what's worst case scenarios, okay, he does awesome. And we got to pay him top of the market quarterback money. There's no doubt about that. And Baker Mayfield to what you said, Mike, I mean, I think that's another aspect. He shouldn't feel any pressure, you know, two where it's different. I think between him and Josh Allen, like we've talked about, it was really the Josh Allen show. I mean, it was, I mean, especially the first 10 weeks of the year when their defense didn't play that well in Buffalo, there was no run game to talk about all year long. So Josh Allen, in my opinion, had more risk going into this year without the contract too. They asked him to play a style of football that is dangerous. And we saw him almost get hurt once or twice last year. It's different. Baker Mayfield, he can sit back, yes, have a little chip on his shoulder. But I think to what you're saying, too, feel comfortable because, man, does he got some talent around him. And he doesn't need to feel the pressure of, I got to make it happen and I got to make plays off schedule and throw lasers. A great offensive line, a great running green, great talent around him. He should feel good where he's at. Of course, I don't think he's Josh Allen, but he's going to get paid, you know, at some point here if it continues the way it's been going the last year. And we talk about that line that separates the quarterbacks who can run the play that's called and that's it. And the guys who can run the play that's called and improvise if need be. Mayfield is just on the other side of that line, right. on the good side of it. He's not Patrick Mahomes, but he can still make something happen from time yes. to time when the play falls apart. And that serves him well, too. All right. Lamar Jackson, we know the Ravens are sold on him. They've built the entire offense around him. They're trying to work out this deal. I thought Jackson would go before Allen because, and Chris, first thing I thought when I saw the yeah. Allen deal, I want to look at it and ask myself, Ravens or Jackson, which side is going to say, hmm, we would just like to take this contract and change the names and make this our quarterback contract. And after I got the details and thought about it, I think Lamar Jackson should just go to the Ravens and say, give me the same damn contract. And I have a feeling the Ravens don't want to do that. Yeah, I'm sure they don't. They're probably a little scared. I mean, Lamar Jackson, this is like the great, I, I mean, this is a great debate topic, whatever. It, it really is. I've thought about this ever since the Josh Allen contract came out. It's just, well, yeah, where does, where, do, what do you do with Lamar Jackson? Where does he really fall in here? Like, I know he won the MVP. I get that. I know he's one of the best players in football. There's no doubt about that. But we know there's a few issues in his game. And the way he plays, okay, we know lends itself to it's one hit away, one, and then all of a sudden his skill set and, and the way he plays is totally changed. So there's more risk on Baltimore's, you know, side of this negotiation, maybe than when you talk about Josh Allen or Baker Mayfield. Let alone, here's the other thing that I think pops out to me, Mike. Like, if Josh Allen got hurt, okay, let's just say this. Knock on wood, I'm never rooting for anybody to get hurt. If Josh Allen, let's say, hurt his name, I don't think you panic and go, man, are we ever going to see the same guy? See, he has more avenues of how to beat you. And, of course, still is a premier thrower and passer of the football. To me, what I would be scared about if I'm the Ravens is that aspect of, like, Hey, Lamar's getting better as a thrower, 
but we still know that's something that has to continue to grow and their offense has to grow and all those type of things. If he did get hurt and that happened to him, what will he be like? And I think that's where if I'm a Ravens negotiator in the front office, that's the part I'm trying to figure out how to balance in these negotiations and figure out the right number. And the other very real dynamic here, the fact that Lamar Jackson does not have an agent makes it difficult. If there are some things that need to be said to the Jackson camp, there's no buffer. There's no one that you can say, well, here's our concern. We need Lamar to develop as a pass. We need him to do this. He's got some flaws here that we, yeah. And you're saying it directly to Lamar Jackson. The one sense I've gotten Chris over the course of the months I've been paying attention to these negotiations I really do feel like the Ravens are walking on eggshells with Jackson. They don't want to say anything, do anything to piss him off in these negotiations. I would imagine so. I mean, first off, they love him. I, I do think there's a real genuine like and love of the player. And then they also know how popular he is in the locker room. Like they don't want to do him wrong or make it look too business oriented to where they got over on him or anything like that. Lamar is, He's got a special charisma about him, and the team loves him. We see other teams love him as soon as the game's over. So I think that's where they got to be walking on eggshells. One, they want to do right by their team and the player and the rest of the players in the locker room. But two, also understanding, like, we've never seen a quarterback really constantly, consistently play this way. This is new to the NFL to go – Wait, quarterback who's as good as any running back in football. We know running backs have a short shelf life, all those type of things. An injury can change all of it. And now we're talking second contract, 40-something million a year type money. This is uncharted waters as far as quarterback team negotiations go. And I think it could be a little tricky. And I'll be interested to see where it goes. My money is he gets – I'm going to say he gets less than Josh Allen. What do you say? I'm going to say he's going to get a little less somehow, some way finagled there. Now, he was due to make less over the next two years than Josh Allen. There's a way to do it. So the total contract is less, but maybe the new money average is the same. There's a way to work that out. I, I, I don't know at this point because part of me says they should already have the deal done. He's back at practice after being on the COVID list. I feel like they... They walk gingerly around him as it relates to the vaccination issue as well. You're not hearing John Harbaugh say anything that would constitute any type of pressure for him to get vaccinated. But I, I, I won't be surprised if they ultimately kick the can a year because, again, the injury risk continues yeah. to stay with the player. And, and, and here's, here's a very minor cautionary tale, but I thought of this when you talked about the potential for injury. Josh Allen's deal has $150 million guaranteed for injury at signing. We rarely see a serious career-affecting, career-limiting, or career-ending injury for a quarterback, but we saw the Alex Smith thing not that long ago. All it takes is that one moment, that one snap, that one, that one whatever it is, and you've got a major commitment that ties the hands of your team for a player that isn't available to you for one year, two years, three years, maybe longer. And when you have money guaranteed for injury four years out, four years, that's what Allen's deal has, four years out, money guaranteed for injury. That's a hell of a commitment. And surely the Ravens are going to want something where if there is that injury, they have a path out from under the balance of the contract sooner rather than later. And I think that may be one of the reasons why they don't just want to give him Josh Allen's contract. 
Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, uh, I, I hear it all the way. I, you know, it makes sense for, yes, themselves, protecting themselves for the style of play, everything like that. And, you know, you talk about kicking the can down the road. You know, listen, maybe they, you know, a little different than Baker Mayfield, but maybe they want to see, you know, another year or just at least another handful of 10 or 12 games to go, okay, wait, he is getting better in the pocket. We made the passing game a little bit better, and now we're seeing – he, he can take advantage of this. We got a little more talent at receiver and tight end, and we opened up the playbook. Maybe that's what they want to see, because then that does give them a little bit of the get-out-of-jail-free card to go like what you're talking about. Oh, wait, he got injured? But wait, he's coming to that point in his career where he's pretty good in the pocket, and he can dice you up now. It's not career-ending or doesn't have to change the way we play or the way we are as a football team altogether. Maybe that's what they're trying to see. It's very interesting. Uh, you know, like I said, it, it's uncharted waters for this type of quarterback with big time, long, long term contract. And this is, again, one of the benefits of having the chance to talk these things through, because it forces me to think while we're talking what I would do if I were the Ravens, whatever my best offer is right now, I put it on the table. I leave it on the table indefinitely with the understanding that if you do suffer a serious injury, we're going to have to go back and reevaluate. But it's there for the preseason. It's there for week one, week two, week three. It's there indefinitely. You ever decide you want it, you take it. If we want to continue to negotiate, we'll do that next year. But this is our number. It's good all year long, barring injury, because all it takes is one game where he has kind of a close call. Yeah. And he thinks, man, that could have gone the other way. I better take right. this deal. It's right. All it takes is one moment. He wakes up, rolls out of bed and says, I'm just going to take that deal and be done with it. I, I think that may be the best way to play it in this situation with a guy who doesn't have an agent, who you want there but you don't want to put yourself in a position where you potentially have four years of guaranteed pay for injury and a player who just isn't the same guy that he once was. Yeah, no, well said. I, I you know, I think that that would probably be the, the approach I would take if I was in the Ravens front office, no doubt about that. So it'd now, be cool to see where it goes. I like the point though. Dak Prescott got the best contract that any player has ever gotten, in my opinion, four years, 160 million with a clear reason for the Cowboys to renegotiate after three years or they face him possibly walking away after four years coming off of a badly broken ankle. We've now seen on hard knocks, the urgency by Prescott to be on the field, the question of whether or not the shoulder injury, you know, he said he wasn't properly warmed up before he threw a deep ball. Maybe he's trying to do a little bit too much. Maybe they need to find a way to reel it in. It's a little bit too late for that now that he's injured, but what, you know, th this is a delicate balance. You have a guy who wants to earn his money. He wants to make up for lost time. But if you do too much, you're not going to have a chance to earn the money. Yeah, no, it, it, it is. I mean, it's, you know, first off, it's big. You know, the, the big thing, I'm just to continue to keep my eye on it. You know, oh, he's going to take a few days off throwing, right? Just a few days. Where, what are we at now? Day 13? I know he threw a few throws yesterday, right? It's, it's something like that, right, Mike? I don't know. We're in double-digit days for sure. I mean, they led us to believe it was just going to be like a weekend off and then he'll be ready to go. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of things here that add to the circumstances. One, the first thing I just say is, man, they need him healthy. I mean, yeah, their defense will be better and all that, but their team is based around him and that passing attack. So these reps that he's missing right now and not getting his body all in shape and order and everything like that, it does worry me a little bit. But I still go back to what I said to you last week, Mike. Like, this is a weird injury. This is weird. 
I have never heard of it with a quarterback pulling a lap muscle. And how you also know it's weird is that they're talking to the Yankees and Rangers about it because it's not a quarterback injury. Yeah, a pitcher might get it because he's pitching off the mound and doing like that and throwing the ball. That's not what a quarterback does. You should never really have that stress on your lap. So I still think it's very odd. Uh, I would be a little concerned here now that we're going this far into it. Um, but I think he felt the pressure, like you said, Mike, to justify the contract and everything like that. And he's a leader and wants to do that. But he better be careful now because this could be something that could plague him all year if he doesn't do this right. And your assessment, your dad's assessment, Phil obviously knows a thing or two about quarterbacks. The idea that yeah. there's something about that leg, the back leg when he throws, that is causing potential overcompensation and creating stress on a muscle area that you ordinarily don't have experienced stress when you're throwing a football. No doubt. Yes. There's he's recruiting muscles, right. To overcompensate for the fact that maybe he can't push off that back leg quite the way he should be able to, to really maximize his power. So now he's, you know, you, you don't even realize you do this. This has happened to me during when I lost my spleen and I was, you're just trying to make it work. And all of a sudden you see a film of yourself and you go, wait, I don't throw the ball that way. And you're like, I'm throwing it that way. You know, and this is my dad and I, we've gone back and watched clips before the injury. We noticed that even early before it was a little different. And if anybody wants to go back, go check it out. I mean, go look at a motion last year before he got hurt. And then if you could find early training camp motion, he like is lifting the ball up and then trying to throw it. There's like a, 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 a some mechanic of, let me lift it up to get the lever longer to create the more power. And to me, that would probably be the reason why he's got such an odd injury, you know, for a thrower, especially a football thrower. And some of it may be things feel differently in the lower right leg. Some of yeah. it may be he's just conscious or not conscious, but it's there. Whether right. he's thinking about it, whether he's not thinking about it, it's there because that's the ankle that got badly broken and it's going to take some time to get over it. I mention that because Joe Burrow, not yeah. on the pup list to start training camp, everything positive and flowery and glowing, his arm strength somehow got stronger through the rehab process. Well, now that he's in the fray, he admitted that his struggles are more mental than physical. This gets, takes me back to what Carson Palmer said 2006 after he had had his ACL torn when he took a low hit from Kimo von Olhoffen in the playoff game against the Steelers, you, you can, you become concerned that you're putting that, that leg with the new ACL out there in front of your body, traffic around your knee, you're conscious of it. You're not stepping in the way that you normally have. It's causing you to throw the ball differently. It's causing you to maybe have a little too much awareness of what's going right. on down here instead of what's going on down the field. And, and he's, he's got to work through that. He does. It's a real thing. I mean, it really is. I mean, you know, I, I, it's hard for me to come up with an example for like everyday person, but you know, yeah, it's just, first off movements, a big part of his football game, right? That's where it's even, this is even more or more alarming than Carson, Carson Palmer, who just wanted to stand in the pocket and be a big, strong statue and make throws. Joe Burrows, we talked about last year. I mean, he is some slippery bastard. I say that respectfully. I mean, he really is. He is unbelievable moving in the pocket, doing those type of things. And that was second nature to him. I mean, he was. He was just like the natural at that type of stuff. 
throwing the ball awkwardly, doing all that. So one, he probably doesn't feel good moving quite the same way. But I think the big thing is like what you said, Mike, you know, he's aware it's his front leg. It's standing out there in the pocket when you're there. And, you know, yes, one, you're thinking about that as you drop back. I think the other part is like you're saying, you know, you have an injury like that. And I had a hurt ankle like pretty bad once that I had a practice through and all those type of things. Yeah, you start to check. Oh, wait, there's Jamar Chase. But then you look down to go, wait, is anybody around me? Can I make that throw? Uh, is anybody going to hit my knee? Oh, no, I'm good. And then you look up and, yeah, you missed the throw or he's not there or the coverage changed or whatever. And that leads to, yeah, bad, inconsistent play. It's nothing that's going to just get fixed overnight. He just got to continue to work it, rep it, get that confidence in his knee. And uh, hopefully we can see the same guy we, we saw before the injury at some point this year. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. You mentioned Jamar Chase. That was the guy the Bengals took with the fifth overall pick while Penny Sewell was still on the board. Anthony Munoz, Hall of Fame left tackle, lobbying for the Bengals to take Sewell. I'm told that Joe Burrow, even though it meant a reunion with his LSU teammate, he had really no opinion. He, he, he just wants to have enough help around him to be yeah. as effective as he can be. But early reports out of Cincinnati are Chase isn't as dominant as maybe we thought he would be in training camp. He said recently Rome wasn't built in a day. And it's, it's too early to write a guy off, but we had expected this guy was going to have kind of a Randy Moss impact from the moment he walked onto an NFL practice field, and it hasn't happened yet. No, it hasn't. I'm not going to panic yet. I'm not. You know, here, there's two things that I think jump out to me to where I just go, all right, you, yeah, it's not, you know, great reports out of Cincinnati yet. But I think the first thing I would go is, hey, he didn't play football last year. For as sick of an athlete as he is, and I know he ran 4-3 at his pro day and all those type of things, it's still a year without the game, and I don't care who you are. Yeah, it's great. You're going to the gym and working out and got a trainer. It can't emulate day 12 of, you know, training camp. Nothing can. And if you've taken a full year off from that completely – you know, yeah, I think there's one, maybe a little bit of endurance explosive factor that's probably an issue right now because he's got camp legs. He's not like in real, real football shape. And the other part, Mike, where I've seen this happen with young receivers, and we see it all the time, where a receiver has a so-so first year, but then explodes the second year. 
because there is a lot mentally for these wide receivers. You know, in college, the whole time, they were just like, you go there, you run a go route or a slant route. If they play you off, we're going to run, throw a slant. If they bump you, just run a go route. And that was their life. Now they're like, wait, I got to read coverage on the run. I'm getting different techniques from DBs. They think more. And as you know, when you think too much, sometimes you can't let your talents come out because you're thinking and you can't just go play. So I'm not going to panic yet. I want to see him in some games first. And that's one thing Zach Taylor, the coach of the Bengals, said. They have deliberately been using press coverage, getting in the faces of the receivers, not letting them run free. They're going to have to deal with that at some point. May as well deal with it from the get-go and learn how to counter the moves that are made when you do have a guy on the line of scrimmage who's keeping you from doing what you're trying to do. That's one of the great skills, underrated skills of a great receiver getting off of the line of scrimmage when there's a guy there who is strong, who is quick, who is agile, and who is taking full advantage of the ability to hit you as you're trying to get into your pass. Right. right. I mean, and yeah, again, he didn't see that for a full year. So not only did he not see it, you know, yeah, even if he played college football last year, none of those college guys are good at the line of scrimmage with their techniques as they are in the NFL when you're going to NFL school every day and not going to like real school. So it's a game changer that way. It definitely is. And, you know, the other thing I'm not going to panic quite yet because of some of the things you said, and we watched college football, we watched two years ago. He got played this way by Patrick Sertain. And he got played this way by A.J. Terrell for the Falcons and Clemson and C.J. Henderson from Florida. And he tore everybody up. So... I'm not going to panic quite yet because of a guy who missed football, learning his way in the NFL, maybe not quite as in shape yet and all that. Uh, if it starts to look like this preseason game three, then maybe we have another segment about this when we're on the show. And then we start going, damn, it doesn't look good. We're concerned. The preseason continues on Thursday night and this weekend, the full slate of the first week of the preseason. Meanwhile, there are several players who are in their camps but not practicing with the team. This is the new dynamic, Chris. And I've talked about this before. I just want to set the stage. The CBA, as revised in 2020, has made it much harder for players to hold out. It's a $50,000 per day fine. If you're not operating under your rookie contract, that money must be collected. It cannot be waived. People say, well, how do they do that? They just take it out of their game checks. It's gone. You're never going to see it. So teams are allowing guys who otherwise would have held out in past years and had those fines eventually waived. They show up. They work out on their own. They are involved in meetings and whatnot, but they're not practicing with the team. They're not putting themselves in harm's way until they get their contract. And the problem is it gives the players leverage. They're withholding services, even though they're there, whether it's TJ Watt in Pittsburgh, Dwayne Brown and Jamal Adams in Seattle. And I, Mike Tomlin talked about this yesterday. He's just focused on the guys who are on the field practicing. Sounds a lot like what a guy would say if a player is holding out. I'm just focused on the guys who are here. They're all trying to deal with the reality that Adams has all the leverage. Brown has all the leverage. I just wonder, Chris, at what point is one of these teams going to say to a hold in? Sorry, it's over. We tried. It's not working. Here's our best offer. If you don't want it, fine, but we expect you to be at practice tomorrow. I I just think it's going to be very hard for any of these teams to do that. Yeah, it's going to be hard. I mean, I feel like if it gets to that point where the way it is right now, it's going to just be like, here's our best offer. Wait, you don't want to practice tomorrow. Fine. Then 
we're definitely going to trade you or something like that. Well, we're going to fine you for contact detrimental to the team. We expect you to yeah. show up in practice tomorrow. You're yeah, here. Sure. You're part of the team. You can't leave because if right. they leave, then the five-day letter gets sent and you're shut down for the whole year if the team chooses to do that. Once you're there, you're under their thumb. But this new dynamic of letting the guy not participate in practice while they work out the deal, it gives the guy leverage. At some point, it's got to end. If you're not going to give him what he wants, you got to get him back on the field. I feel like that's the thing that these teams haven't really thought through. What do we do if we get to the point where there's an impasse? What do we right. do? Yeah. And no, we're going to find I out. We are going to find out. I mean, I think if there's an impasse and the team doesn't bend, you're going to see the player go, my hamstring's tight. You know, my quad hurts. Things that won't be able to be like necessarily looked at to go, well, he's lying or that's not really – and they're just not going to practice that way. Yeah, it's a weird dynamic. I think we're all getting used to it. I will say this. I still think it's – I still think I like it from both the player aspect and the organizational aspect. Like, I understand it's going to be interesting when it comes to a head to, like, what you're saying. But I still think if we ask, like, first off as an ex-player, I look at it from the player's part and go, hey, I think this is good. As Mr. Old Man, Old Wise Man, I used to play in the NFL and been around it. I think it is good for the player to be there. He is getting mental reps. He's working. So the team's going to keep an eye on him and make sure he's in shape and ready to play football. They know where he's at when he does get ready to practice or do all that. So I look at that as a positive for the player. And I still think for the team, they'd rather have the guy there holding in than not there at all. You know, again, for the same thing. Like, yeah, they're getting to watch TJ Watt work out. They know where he's at physically, condition-wise, all those type of things. And he's still getting to be in the locker room and be a leader. He's in the meetings. You know, he not understands what's being implemented on the defense and all those things. So I still think it's a positive on both sides. But, yeah, I think the million-dollar question is, like, what you're saying. What's going to happen when nothing happens? And what are what is one side going to do to, you know, offset that or, or you know, make a power play? I think from the team's perspective, another thing they're hoping for is that because the player is around the team and he's there and he's, yeah. in, and he's smelling the grass and he's seeing how in Pittsburgh, for example, Melvin Ingram getting ensconced with the first team offense while TJ Watt isn't practicing. I think it's, it's yeah. easier for that guy to say, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm on the train. I'm already on the train. Now yeah. I'm, I'm actually going to go have a seat on the train. Right. It's easier to stay away when you're not witnessing all of that. And I think the teams hope that happens. But this is, this is a new dynamic. This really is with that many guys who are in this posture. And if you have a guy like a Jamal Adams that is just determined to get what he wants, at some point you just have to blink. I, I saw that the, the issue is structure and guarantees. Well, that's a pretty big issue. Somebody's got to blink at some point because one thing we know about Jamal Adams, strong opinions, wants what he wants. You knew that when you traded for him. You didn't sign him to a contract on the way through the door. There's a point where the team's just got to cry uncle and get this done. And I think the yeah. Seahawks with Adams are the prime example of the team that better do it because I don't think Adams is going to give in. No, I don't think so either. You know, we've talked one, you explained it, right? We know what kind of human being he is. He's a stubborn SOB. And I say that respectfully because I really like Jamal. I mean, I've been around him a lot in his, in his young career. Uh, and, you know, as we've discussed too, his father's career was ended by an injury. So I think that's always something in the back of his mind. And what you've always said, I mean, yeah, he's got the power here. They traded away a boatload of picks. They're going to look stupid if he somehow isn't there on their football team, let alone 
added to that, he plays probably the most important position on their defense. Nobody uses the safety in a more diverse way than the Seattle Seahawks. So he knows he has them by the proverbial cojones, okay, in a major way. And that, yes, it's just a matter of time before the Seahawks blink and give him what he wants, I think. It's starting to wear on Pete Carroll on Sunday. He was asked, at what point are you concerned with Jamal Adams' absence? He said, why would I tell you that? And then he was asked for an update yesterday, and he said, no update, thanks for asking. I mean, the, the ultra-positive head coach is really starting to feel a little bit, which advantage Adams. At some point, if you're the coach and the guy's there, he's there. We want him on the field. Damn it, let's get this thing done and get him on the field. Let's make it work. Let's make it happen. So it just fascinates me because yeah. this is a new path. In past years, Adams would be like Ezekiel Elliott two years ago in Mexico working out, waiting for the deal to get done, not there around the team, but not on the practice field. And uh, it, I, I agree with you. It's better that the player's there, but at yeah. some point they got to get this done. No, I know. Uh, you know, I think, you know, the one we do have Xavier and Howard and look how that went. The fact that he was there, there was communication always. Him and Brian Flores got to talk, all that stuff. I mean, I think, you know, that, that a lot of these teams are looking at it the same way. That at least he's here. We see him in person. Like you said, most of these players we're talking about are your alpha psychos. I love football. I want to be out there so bad. I can't believe I'm missing it. They're trying to use that against them. Like you said, the smell of the grass. You're missing the action. Ooh, you might not be as good because you're not practicing and all those type of things to where, you know, it, it will be interesting to see where it goes. But I still think it's it's maybe better than the option we used to have. It just could be a little more intriguing when it when it comes to a head like you've talked about. Well, we'll see how the first week of the preseason goes. We will be back on Peacock and NBCSN Monday morning to react to everything that we see preseason week one and everything else happening in the nfl chris great seeing you as always can't wait to get back at it every day monday through thursday maybe friday once in a while maybe we'll we'll talk to everybody uh soon i.e on monday see ya The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.